Hey, my name is Amara. And my name is Ola. And you're tuning into Ramblings of a Brother and Sister. So, Ola, people are outside protesting. Or no, let me say rioting to be more accurate. (laughs) They are indeed. And I don't know about you, but I feel like in a global pandemic, I'd rather be inside and not outside. But I mean, maybe that's just me. Yeah, makes a lot of sense to me. I saw something on Instagram. I think it was something that someone retweeted. And it basically said, you know, white privilege is violating the governor's executive order and standing on Capitol Hill steps with assault weapons and guns without being fined or tear gassed by the police. Yet, black and brown Detroiters were fined $1,000 for going to the park. Unreal. And I read that and I was like, you know, it's one thing to protest. It's another thing to have a discrepancy in the way people are treating these protests. Yeah. You know? Oh, was it on the Breakfast Club that Charlemagne gave Donkey of the day to, I think it was an off-duty police officer. Mm-hmm. And basically, they saw a group of kids not um, social distancing. And they went after the one black girl there who was sitting down. And like, I'm sure. <laughs> I was like, what's going on? I don't know. It's crazy. Funny enough, it's like he wasn't wearing a mask and like he approached them, like put his hands on her. So it's like you're not really social distancing. But yeah, I mean, I guess it's also interesting because I'm trying to figure out why all these people are protesting. I mean, I know why they're protesting, but I think when you look at interviews and hear people talk about it, it's so fascinating that a lot of them want their jobs back. They want the economy to open up again. And while I can understand that because obviously the pandemic has led people to be in really difficult economic situations, um, the government didn't want to close. <laughs> like The financial cost is definitely much greater having the country closed than open. But I feel like it doesn't make sense to me that you're protesting in groups of hundreds of people when the reason the country is closed is to keep people from being together so that the spread of COVID-19 can slow down. And at the end of the day, if more people get it, then we're just going to have to close down anyways. Exactly. It's like- The country is not going to be better financially if everyone gets sick and then like a million people die. No, not at all. And again, I respect people's right to protest. I'm all for it. But at this time, I have no respect for it. Like you're the reason why I'm stuck inside longer. Well, it's not too bad in Canada, at least. No, but in Vancouver, in the West Coast, I don't know what the heck is going on. Also, fun fact, the West Coast has some killer bees or hornets on their tails, so... I don't even want to talk about that. <laughs> I'm hoping that'll keep No, they're inside. called murder hornets. Yikes. Yeah, may the Lord help us. Amen to that. I don't know. I mean, like, what are your thoughts? Do you think that people have the right to protest and therefore it overrides the government's mandate for people to stay inside? No, I would say not right now, just because it's technically illegal. Like, you can definitely <laughs> show your displeasure to the government, but mm-hmm. even if you're going to protest, just don't be outside in a group of like a thousand people. My favorite protesters are the ones who are like wearing masks and signs that say COVID-19 doesn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. And I guess something that I thought about when I was looking at all these different photos is people really distrust the government. Yeah. Like the fact that in a time like this, people don't want to stay home and people are posting and tweeting and rallying together because they feel like this is unfair. They feel like this is 
you know, slavery times. I've heard that being invoked. I've heard, you know, this is worse than prison. Just these crazy notions. People are just so adamant against any sort of infringement on their right to move around. But even in a time like this. I think like, especially in the United States, Mm -hmm. a lot of the blame, I would say, is the government because they spent so much time even denying the existence of it or playing it down, saying, you know, you know, it's not going to be worse than the flu. I don't know. They just downplayed it so much that, okay, now that they're saying that, okay, it is a problem and people do have to stay home. Mm-hmm. People are repeating back the same things they're told. You know, it's not that serious. It's not worse than the flu. Some people deny it exists. So yeah, you can't really have it both ways. You can't downplay it and then all of a sudden talk about how serious it is. Yeah, I mean, I will say this. I think the way that the government handled it and different governments around the world handled it very differently. I don't blame them because I do think that people were speaking about it quite prematurely, if I'm being honest. Oh, no, I definitely blame them. (laughs) Well, yes, I do too. But I mean, not entirely, like maybe like 85%. (laughs) I do think there's that 15% of like, they didn't know the severity of it. Um, I mean, until the NBA shut down, but that's another thing well i guess that kind of made people realize how severe it was but i think from the government has like they have officials they have health experts they have people who pay to tell them about these things yeah so i can't get behind the notion that they didn't know how serious it's gonna be because we knew about this in advance we saw that china went up to like eighty thousand cases before it really spread to other places mm-hmm. so it's like to say that they didn't know in advance or that i'm not saying that they didn't know or that they couldn't have been more prepared i mean didn't they say that when trump became president he basically defunded the emergency like pandemic response team or something like Uh, that i think he just got rid of it completely yeah he was like like, oh well if you ever need it we can get it back but (laughs) i mean mean, anywho again i don't want to get into like government blaming we did a lot of that on the last podcast episode feel free to check that out (laughs) no but um i do feel like as much as I can understand exactly what you're saying, I also still feel like people don't necessarily care who the president is. They just don't like being told what to do. And I say that because I don't think it would have mattered if people were told to stay home at the very beginning or a month in. Yes, the competing narratives does really mess you up in that and it does create a problem for sure. But I just feel like people don't like being told what to do. Or they don't like feeling like in any way, shape, or form their freedoms are curtailed. And a great example of that is what happened in Canada. So two weeks ago, when you had the mass shooting in Nova Scotia, 23 people, I believe, were killed and three people were injured, one of them even being uh, an officer. And you had laws come out in response to that tragedy recently that essentially prevented certain guns from being used and that also is stopping certain guns from being sold. And people were up in arms. No pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's definitely a very American sentiment, but I guess you do see it a little bit in Canada. People care more about their personal freedom than they do about public safety. Mm, that's good. One of the things that I saw, and it's quite true, but I think even just from a legal standpoint, I saw this thing on Facebook that was quite disappointing, if I'm being honest. Um It was essentially a post that said, what you've just seen happen in Canada is a law being passed in an undemocratic way. And I was like, that's not actually factual. 
What happened in Canada was a bill simply being amended, which the federal government is able to do. They can amend existing laws as an executive power. um, And if at any point in time a significant amount of amendments are made, a consolidation of the act will happen and will kind of go out into the ether. But you can amend an act without having to pass an entirely new bill. So people saying that it was passed like almost unconstitutionally like he did it on his own and all this stuff especially in a minority government that made no sense to me um it was just incorrect but then you spread that kind of misinformation about someone who's making laws for his own political agenda be that as it may that's actually not how the amendment came into force oftentimes people don't really know anything about politics or the law they kind of just i feel like they just form their opinions based on their emotions or yep what they think is right, but they might not actually have an understanding of all the things behind it. It's true. And I posted something on Instagram where I basically posted an article that was talking about the new amendments and the prohibition on certain firearms. Um, And I asked people what their thoughts were on it. And I got a lot of different responses. A lot of people said, yay, we love it. Why isn't this already a thing? Why do we have guns in the first place for Canadian, not American? Um, Some of those people being gun owners or gun users or people who live in the country where it's argued that you're more likely to need a gun. And a lot of those responses were dissenting to the use of guns and the ownership of certain kinds of guns. And the other opinions were things like, well, you know, we need to protect ourselves and like it's unconstitutional and it's our right. In Canada, it's not, it's not, it's no constitution that protects your right to own a gun in Canada. 100%. (laughs) Um, A lot of the responses just said things like, this doesn't do anything. And the key thing I heard time and time again was, Bad people will always be bad. Evil people will always be evil. And this law doesn't help that. And again, we can go into what this law actually does, but I hate that argument. Oh, that argument is not... See, that that argument doesn't make any sense and it's not based on any fact or reality. Because at the end of the day, whether someone has an intent to do harm or not, a gun is still a much easier way to do it. Like, sure, if someone wanted to kill someone, they can use a knife or whatever, but how much harder is it to chase down someone with a knife? At least that person has a chance to run. Very true. With a gun, it's even if you have your own gun to protect yourself, Mm -hmm. but a gun, it's whoever draws first. You don't have to see it coming. It's just, it's quick. And I think there are a lot of aspects to this that people don't realize. So, for instance, one major area of concern when it comes to guns is that a lot of people commit suicide use guns and people think that you know if someone wanted to if someone's suicidal or they want to die they'll find a way to do it but statistics show that when people have guns around they're more likely to go through it because every other method of suicide it's a slower process you know for someone to go up to a building to jump off that's a slow process they have to actually walk up there there's a lot of time in between where they can contemplate um, for someone to use a knife to kill themselves it's not as easy as you think if they don't do it quick enough there's always time for them to call for help they can call an ambulance, maybe that will help them. But with a gun, you pull the trigger and it's instantly over. Yeah. Yeah, it's just something that a lot of people don't realize that guns increase the likelihood of suicide by a significant amount. In 2018, I believe they also did research, um, the Canadian government that is, about their concern with gun owners and situations of domestic violence, women who were at risk, and 
the fact that someone who is licensed to carry a gun doesn't actually lose that license until something significant happens that causes it. And at yeah. that point, it could be too late. And then, you know, when we cross the border, you have I, a lot of studies that were released basically saying that if there's a gun in the house and there are kids in that household, automatically you raise the chance of an incident happening by virtue of it being there. And I was speaking to a friend of mine today and she was basically saying, again, also someone who has, you know, used a gun and, and did shooting competitions and all those things. And she was basically saying that in Canada, you know, by law, you have to store your gun and your ammunition separately. And so the argument that people make of like, well, it's going to protect me is so fascinating to me because one, how do we know that the out of all the people who, you know, were sadly victim to the tragedy, none of them were gun owners? And like, yeah. did it did it help them in that moment? No, it didn't. Someone who had access to a weapon like that was able to go crazy and kill all of these people. And so, yes, individual responsibility is absolutely there. But like having access is another thing. And on the vein of weapons being stored separately from their ammunition, it's interesting to me because if someone breaks into your house, how likely is it that you're going to have the time to go upstairs or wherever you keep that, find your gun, you know, unlock it, go to the next spot, grab the ammunition, come back, load that gun and then go after the person who's trying to attack you like I don't know. I just don't see that being a reality, you know? Like, I feel like people think about it, like, in TV shows, you know, the good guy has a gun and he disarms the bad guy. But yep. in real life, things are going to be much more quicker than that. They're 100%. probably not going to get the chance. Yeah. And a Harvard study a couple of years ago, I think in 2016, showed that having a gun doesn't make you safer, statistically. And the amount of people who actually use guns every year in self-defense situations is a lot lower than people think. Um, especially in the U.S. And what the study concluded in saying was actually having a gun escalate situations. It makes things that are violent significantly more violent, like a robbery or a theft or um, a break-in becomes significantly more violent when there's a gun involved. Yeah. So like in general, guns just aren't great, you know? And I will say this too, a friend of mine on Instagram who commented on the post said that in the U.S., you know, and that's, again, a whole other thing that maybe we'll get into, maybe not the Constitution and Second Amendment, yada, yada, yada. Um, oh, my gosh, you'll love to know this. <laughs> Someone said, we're very pro-Second Amendment on my Instagram post. And I was like, you're Canadian. Like, come on. <laughs> that's not the thing. Um, but anyway, this girl from the States, she said that, you know, with the Second Amendment and the history around that, which most people don't know is quite is quite interesting. There's There's a lot that goes on there that we don't have to get into. But she was saying that ultimately it protects people's rights and state rights to prevent tyranny from the federal government. And while I agree with that, I think that's a hard argument to make for two reasons. One, historically, yes, that was the intention of the Second Amendment. But in 2008, um, with Scalia, and he basically affirmed that the Second Amendment you know, guaranteed Americans a right to bear arms for self-defense purposes. So is it both? Is it one? Is it another? Scholars disagree. But I just don't know that in 2020, a bunch of individual gun owners are going to overthrow a government. I feel like that would no. be the role of like the military if a coup needed to happen or whatever. Yeah. I just don't see that happening in the States where like you having a gun protects you from having the federal government overthrow your rights and like cause tyranny. I just I just don't. I don't know. I'm not convinced. <laughs> <laughs> the way I see it, I'm like, if the government, I don't know, wants to like take over the country or whatever, 
and like they're using the military, regular civilians don't have any chance. No. At least from what I've seen working for the army. Regular civilians just have no chance. Mm-hmm. Like the government has more equipment. And even if people also forget that, it's not like they're just going to send the military after you because the military are still made up of citizens of their country. This is true. Someone in the military is not just like, hey, I'm going to turn against my country, even though I have family and friends who are civilians and like they're still human beings. They're not like mindless soldiers who have been controlled by the government. Yeah. So it's not like a <laughs> likely situation that people are ever going to need to rise up against the government with arms. No, it's really not. Especially not in a place like the U.S. Isn't their whole thing like, you know, land of the free, home of... No, that's not not accurate. (laughs) Anyways, going back to Canada, I did want to talk about the bill because I did find something interesting. So one of the last comments I got was someone saying that the bill looks great prima facie. So it, it makes the government look good, but it doesn't actually do anything from protecting real citizens. And then someone else said, you know, it just disarms law-abiding gun owners, which is factually untrue. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) But I don't know. What are your thoughts on the bill? I probably agree that's probably not going to do much really to change things or protect citizens. But when it comes to gun control, here's my whole thing. I feel like like a shooting that happens, they'll put in some small measure. But at the end of the day, I think what really needs to happen, and this is definitely not a popular opinion, but I just don't think guns should be allowed at all. Because here's the fact of the matter. All guns that are used in a crime started off as legal. Basically, it starts off with someone buying a gun, probably legally, but then what happens to the gun after that? And that's where the problem lies. Yeah. Oftentimes, those guns aren't really accounted for. People buy them, but then maybe they give it to a friend as a gift or a family member, or maybe they sell it to someone else. And once you, you have that... Would you ever want that... a gun as a gift? Hmm? <laughs> Would you ever accept a gun as a gift? <laughs> uh, no, but it happens all the time. And even though it's illegal, that's where a lot of illegal guns come from. Like they all start illegally at some point. Yeah. But at some point down the road, that gun, something happened to it, and now it's ended up in the hands of a criminal. So the fact of the matter is, as long as there are guns being legally produced and legally sold to people, there's always going to be crime because those guns are going to end up in the hand of a criminal. It's funny because in 2019, basically there was an article that I read and it was like, you know, before majority of the illegal guns in Canada, and I think it's important to talk about illegal guns because one, the guns that were used in the Nova Scotia incident were illegal, I believe. And also a lot of people say that, which is true, most gun crime doesn't stem from law abiding gun owners. It's through legal weapons. And I think it's worth noting that our premier said um, in response to the federal bill amendment he said you know the energy should and the money should go into curtailing the illegal guns from the u.s so previously most of the illegal guns were smuggled across the border from the u.s to canada but things are changing a growing number of guns are bought legally in canada and actually resold on the black market or are made in canada illegally so it's funny because even though they're saying yeah smuggling is a problem. They've also increased measures to combat that. So in 2018, the CBSA was granted like an extra $51 million to enhance screening, basically to try to combat illegal weapons being smuggled across the border. So they're not doing nothing about it, but that doesn't cover all of the guns that are illegal. Like you said, lots of them are made legally and and purchased legally and then just resold. I think I read that article. And I think specifically in Toronto, there has been a bigger increase of legal guns being sold or gifted to other people Mm -hmm. that 
has specifically contributed to the rise of gun violence in yeah. the area. I think that even though legal gun owners or you know law-abiding gun owners may lose the right to have guns, it's still the most ideal situation because the fact of the matter is that all illegal guns started as a legal gun at some point. And unless there's a system in place to kind of like keep track of that, which a lot of gun owners have pushed back on in the past, yep. unless there's a system in place that keeps track of legal guns, then there's no way you're going to stop it from falling into the hands of a criminal. Yeah. And also we will forget that legal guns are also stolen. <laughs> like, oh, that happens all the time. Yeah. And the thing is they're rarely reported. Yeah. Or when people have a lot of guns, often they're stolen and it's not noticed. Yeah. Like, oh, a year later they notice that a gun's missing, but by then it's too late. I think whether or not the bill does anything can be analyzed in two ways. So one, what it actually does, which is banning about 1,500 most of them semi-automatic firearms um, and saying, you know, you can't use them anymore, but also we're not going to take them. So that's why I didn't like the idea of like, they're taking our guns. No, they're not. They're not taking them. You can voluntarily give them back and they'll give you money for it. For years, Toronto's had a buyback. For- yeah, they have um, to try to decrease the amount of guns they have in circulation, which again, I love. <laughs> I just do. I yeah. think it's true. The, the more you have something of that capacity, the more of a liability it is. That's just fact. And so them having this amendment made to not continue to produce those kinds of weapons and then sell them to the public to me is completely sensical. Now, does it tackle the root issue? No. But is it useless? No. Should people be bashing it? I don't think so. Um, I mean, it's your right to bash laws if you want, but don't say that they're not made constitutionally and don't say that you have a right to bear arms because in Canada, you do not. And even in the US, it's funny because, you know, an act I love to bring up and we've definitely talked about is the Mulford Act of 1967. Oh, I, I love hearing about that. <laughs> Literally, it's like, you know, the right to bear arms, the right to bear arms. Again, in the US, it is a right whatever that means. Well, until um, a group of black people decide to bear arms. <laughs> precisely. All of a sudden, black people want guns and the laws change overnight. Yeah. And literally that's what that act was. It was in California. A Republican was president at the time and the NRA was in support of gun control. Like you had the Black Panther Party have black people buy guns and carry them legally in an open carry state And the day after or days after, they were like, yeah, no, that is no longer legal. (laughs) And it's just crazy to me to think, even just gun control aside, that the government actually came together and passed something into law that fast, that efficiently. They're like, hey, this seems like a problem. We should do something about it. And they did overnight. Meanwhile, there are mass shootings in the United States like every few months. Every few months. I think it's more like every few weeks. Well, I guess, yeah, based on definition of mass shooting. Like, I'm not like the big ones. Yeah. They happen all the time. And then they're like, oh, well, you know, thoughts and prayers, nothing we can do about it, you know. But I just find that interesting. Yeah. And I guess the thing, too, is a discussion I had with the girl from the States, I was saying, listen, you have rights and that's non-negotiable. They're outlined in the written text of the Constitution. That being said, rights are not unlimited. I have the right to say what I want about you. You can also sue me for slander and libel. That's also the law. So you have things that curtail your rights. 
you have a right to own a gun, but that right should not be, in my view, unlimited. I think that having measures in place to, whether it's stop illegal guns or prevent the circulation of guns that are really problematic is important. And, you know, her response was, well, there are things in place and, you know, there's a lot of vigorous measures that are meant to keep people who shouldn't have guns from having guns. And I'm like, that one changes from state to state Two, there have been policies put in place to allow people to have easier access to guns over the last few years like what does that say about the way you run a country how is it that you can legally own a gun at 16 but you can't drink till you're 21 i just don't you know <laughs> i think a great experiment would to be you know what if like one day every black person on social media was just like hey i'm gonna go out and buy a gun you know the laws would change I feel like, like that not even just the laws i'm like how would people feel if every black person was like i'm just gonna go and buy a gun i guarantee you there'd be a lot of people uncomfortable with that thought even though it's legal no it's true i think that more often than not the idea of every black person having a gun would scare a lot of people yeah when people think of legal gun owners they think about people who look like them they think they're going to be what in their head a law-abiding citizen looks like or they just assume that they'll be a law-abiding citizen but someone's a law-abiding citizen until they decide to break the law so I don't know, there are plenty of criminals who can go out legally buy a gun. The next day, they commit some crime with it. And I also want to say this because I do think the conversation is very nuanced. Like, it's definitely multi-layered and it's different. Even in this conversation we, we pulled from, you know, North America, I mean, the two countries that we talked about, but it's a layered topic because it looks different from place to place. Like, in a country that does have the right to do something, exercise that right but within reason. And I think the government also has a right to say, yeah, we're going to draw this back a little bit because it's the powers in which have been afforded are way too broad. And again, I'm bringing it back to COVID-19 because who's that celebrity which from Lost? Evangeline Lilly, I think? Yes. Who was like, you know what? It's my personal freedom to not social distance and to still kind of go about and do my thing even though there is a pandemic. I, I have the right to do it. Some people would rather stay safe and, and protect others. Some people always want the right to choose and they always want the right to do what they want to do and that's their right as well. But for me, if you talk about rights, perhaps in a strict sense, um, also all my law school friends, I know you guys are listening and are really happy that I'm bringing this up, um, but you don't have a right, quote unquote, to do anything. Like if you have a right, there has to be a correlating obligation. So a right to do something doesn't exist. People talk about negative rights and positive rights, like my right not to have my freedom infringed upon and all of these different things. I think that language around rights is kind of a privileged language. You know, like if you have the right to something, that means someone has the obligation to you, a duty to you to ensure that that right is fulfilled. Not everyone has that. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, people have the right as minorities not to be oppressed, not to be shot for no unjust reason. I mean, in theory, you've got quote unquote rights, but what does that look like in practice? Yeah. And I think it looks different for everybody depending on different things. I think it's not this balanced scale that we can all have these wonderful rights and it all works for us equally because i've seen videos of people legally carrying guns in open carry states or just in general people of color and guess what happens to them they get arrested yeah and then they get released because the police goes oh you were the wrong person we were looking for (laughs) i think when people talk about their rights it's a very funny thing because They say it in a way that assumes their rights don't have any impact on someone else. Let's look at this like even before this whole pandemic. 
if I'm sick and I know I'm sick and I go to work knowing I'm sick and now I'm coughing, sneezing everywhere, if I say, you know, I have the right to work even under this situation, well, my right to work is now putting someone else's life in danger because I'm bringing my sickness to a workplace. Mm -hmm. If I'm in an open carry state, and I say, I have the right to openly carry my gun. Now, my right to carry my gun is now basically overriding someone else's right to feel safe. Yeah. Because if I'm carrying a gun, just think about the stereotype. Like, oh, look at this large black guy carrying a gun. Regardless of if you for, for want to think that way. you are 6'4". <laughs> <laughs> yes, I am 6'4". The fact of the matter is, there are going to be a lot of people who see that. Mm-hmm. And they're going to be scared. Yeah. Whether they should be or not, people are going to be scared. Mm. And even just taking race out of it, the fact that someone's walking around carrying a gun, that's going to be unsettling to a lot of people. So one person's right to carry a gun is going to be infringing on another person's right to feel safe. Yeah. And it's like that with everything. There's very few things that you can do in this life that don't affect someone else in some way. So it's like, it's nothing, like nothing than isolation. Like you can't yeah. just say my rights, my rights, my rights, but I mean, Your rights also affect other people. Yeah, I mean, Kennedy said the rights of every man are diminished when the rights of one are threatened. <laughs> and That's it's a very good quote. Yeah, and it's true. Like, you know, and ultimately, I think it really brings it to that question of public safety versus individual freedoms. And whether or not you believe in one or the other or a balancing act of both, it'll inform your view on things like, whether or not you should be told you got to be locked up inside during a pandemic or when you're being told, hey, you can't use this gun you used to use anymore and all of those things. And again, like, you know, in part, I don't want a narrative to be made that doesn't see all sides. So the reality is there are going to be hundreds of weaponry that can no longer be sold and there are going to be a lot of value in weaponry that's lost. Even in that buyback program, I'm sure people may lose money. Hey, human lives are more valuable. Facts. But again, that's your view. And that's my view. Um, but not everybody. <laughs> is, is there a different view than that? <laughs> yes. The view is, hey, I don't care if you feel unsafe, Amara, that I, a five six, might I add, <laughs> um, girl is carrying a gun because it's my right to do so. And then you have overlapping rights and all that kind of stuff, like which right trumps which right. And in an ideal system, all rights are are equal but that's just not always how things play out in fact it's often not how things play out so in the united states with the second amendment i don't see how it's ever going to be possible to get rid of guns completely but Mm -hmm. as long as the second amendment is there there's always going to be this issue of i have the right to bear arms one interesting thing that i saw a few months ago was this vox video and one of the things they talked about was how there's not like nothing that can be done so they talked about the system of gun licensing. Like the current system is, you know, you to get a gun, you have to have a background check. But the background checks that they perform aren't really that comprehensive. Often a lot of organizations aren't keeping up-to-date databases. So there's a lot of people that fall through the cracks. And one of the things that gun licensing does is it's a more comprehensive system. It doesn't just look at like one database and I like, oh, you seem to be fine. We're going to give you a gun after like a few minutes. It's like a three-week process. One of the major points that they brought up was that 97% of the people who apply for a gun license in the United States will be approved. But that's not necessarily to say that those 3% would have passed the background check. That comprehensive check that they do 
weeds out a lot of people who buy guns impulsively. And that's one thing that happens a lot in crime. People buy guns because they want to do something on an impulse. And what they found was that in places, I think they compared, I believe is it two counties or two cities? One where they had gun licensing and they removed it. Another where they had no gun licensing and then they added that system. And what they found was that adding um, a system where you had to have a license for a gun, it dramatically reduced crime. Yeah. Whereas when they when they got rid of the gun licensing system, crime immediately shot up. Although I do think the ideal situation would be to not have any guns at all. What about people who hunt and kill deer and need like AR-15s to kill deer? Well, what I'm, about not sure, those I'm, fine I'm not people? sure I'm fine with like people just hunting animals for sport. But Same, I think if but... people are hunting animals for food or whatever, I'm fine with that. I don't really care much about hunting. Like but then that's hunting, hard but... because you can't say that there shouldn't be any guns and then say that people who are hunting should be the exception. I don't think there should be any guns at all. Mm-hmm. But I'm not, I don't think hunting in of itself. I don't think there's that big of a deal with people hunting. With guns? Yeah. In my system, if I I had control of it. Tell me, brother, what is your perfect system? (laughs) The perfect system would be no guns. But I'm saying in a system where there is gun control, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say that no guns for people who are hunting. Okay, so you're just saying that... I'm mostly just talking about gun licensing. Basically, that system would prevent a lot of people who are impulsively buying guns from doing anything bad with it. And at the same time, the majority of people who want a gun will legally be able to get a gun. In the U.S., this yeah. is true. It's not punishing any law-abiding citizens. Yeah. But the thing is, it's like, even to get that put in place, there's always going to be pushback. 100%. And I do think it's worth noting that, you know, in the time of the Mulford Act that we talked about, that bill that was passed in California, the NRA had a shift in the U.S. where it became significantly less conscionable in their actions and way more, I don't know, slightly extreme in their views and and their uncompromising values. Whereas prior to, it showed that they were willing to, in some sense, come together with the government and have a level of gun control. Because I think 20 years later, they wanted to put in place another form of gun control. And the NRA was basically like, yeah, no. And that so saying kind they of, were for gun control before. I don't know if I can go as far as saying they were for gun control, but they were definitely more open to it and they were definitely less uncompromising, yeah. which is why the Mulford Act got passed because they were definitely more reasonable. I don't know, because would you say it got passed because they're more reasonable or was it just because the NRA didn't want black people to have guns? I like, would say, here's the thing, I would like, say both. That sounds more like a situation where they dislike black people more then they care about their guns. Correct. That is definitely factually true. But when you do look at the history and kind of the aftermath of the act, it did show that things kind of changed over time in terms of the leadership and the membership of the NRA. Like statistically, that did change. And you did have a shift in the way that they ran, which became, like I said, more uncompromising. But 100% that was because they didn't want black people to have guns. Like without question. (laughs) I think of the case of... um, is it Philando Castile? Mm-hmm. Like, he legally owned a gun. And this was a few years ago when he was shot in his car. The police officer um, asked him if he had a gun. And I think he told him that he had one in his compartment. Yeah. And he wasn't reaching for his gun. He had to put his hands up and he was shot. He was a legal gun owner. He was following the law and declaring that he had a gun when he was asked by the police. And he was shot. But it's like, you know, crickets by the NRA. You know, it's exactly. a perfect case for them, for them to say, hey, this is a law-abiding citizen. He mm-hmm. was just doing 
what he was supposed to do and he was still shot. But the NRA wasn't there to say he's a law-abiding citizen. There have been cases where white people were accused of certain things and then the NRA will kind of come to their defense. Right. And my thing with the NRA as a gun rights advocacy group is this. Why do you have a group like this with so much power? I don't care what your thoughts are on the NRA, but like at the end of the day, why can't you rely on your government to make decisions that are independent of a group like that? When things go wrong, everyone goes, oh, well, the NRA will never let that happen. Like who's running the country, the government or the NRA? Money. And I think just because of their influence, like if you are a political candidate and you have the NRA supporting you, it probably goes a lot to help your campaign. Especially if you're a right-wing politician, you don't want the NRA against you. You want their support. It's true. It's sad, but true. At the end of the day, I think it's important that people simply have the conversation. What was nice in having this dialogue and trying my best to have more conversations, you know, with people who I engage with on social media that are a little bit more inherently political is to say that at the end of the day, these things affect us. Like when a massacre, like what happened recently happens, those things affect us. So to not have these conversations because it's too political or because we're too one-sided about it or because we want to see what's on Facebook and not even engage is a disservice to us. Like you said, there are a few things that we have rights over that don't affect many people. So to not talk about it to me is foolish because it does affect us. And again, there are many aspects of the conversation. It's a nuanced dialogue and things we may have even probably certainly missed but the point is to have it because at the end of the day that kind of engagement affects our life also kind of sucks that the conversation only really happens after there's a big shooting 100 percent. okay there's a big shooting we should have some small gesture or whatever to say that we're doing something about the situation and then after nothing's really done mm-hmm. you forget about it then another mass shooting happens and then it's like oh, okay we gotta do more we gotta do more but yeah at the end of the day it's like we should be doing things to prevent it from happening before mm-hmm these mass shootings occur. I just feel like the conversation doesn't have a lot of context or even if people know certain pieces of information, it feels like they're less likely to talk about them but jump to like the government passed this bill and I don't agree with it and I don't even fully know what it means. Personally, I just think people should be more informed and speak from a place of that you know, disagreeing or not. Have the conversation and then figure out how you want to move forward in that. I hear you on that. The way I see it, no one can tell another person what to do. If I want to go hit someone on the head with a rock, I can do that because no one can tell me otherwise. But if a group of people want to call themselves police officers (laughs) and they want to, you know... Arrest you? Yes, arrest me and throw me in a cell, they're well within the rights to do that. If they want to take the direction of people who call themselves politicians or lawmakers or whatnot, (laughs) then they have the right to do that. And if those people want to determine that I should be in jail forever, they have the right to do that. So we all have the right to do whatever we want, but I mean... (laughs) So does the government. (laughs) Yeah. They are are also individuals who have the right to do whatever they want. (laughs) We elected them. Didn't we give them the power to say, hey, we can kind of tell you what to do sometimes, hence law enforcement. That's very true. I mean, people voted the government in power and then... When these governments are telling people to stay at home, all of a sudden, we don't like, trust we, you. Yeah, they're like, <laughs> we don't like this. You're taking away our rights. I'm like, well, you use your right to vote to put them in power to make decisions like this. This is their job. Their job is to make these decisions. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I, 
I don't know what to say. Listen, all I want is to, you know, live my best life and not have someone shout that them protesting during a global pandemic is the same as Rosa Parks. I just, that's all I want in life. <laughs> and I feel like it's my right to do so, you know? Well, I think it's definitely within my right to blame you for everything that goes wrong in this house. Um, I feel like that's outlandish. Oh, oh. Go ahead, jot that thing down to the flow. I've been on the road so long, forgot I had a home. I'm out in Miami, a celebrity galore. I got what I need, but I always want more. Always going north, that's why they call me New and North. You could call me Norte. In the 911, pull off in a Porsche. I ain't never losing sleep on what these horses say. Just get my good song, make sure that shit 4K, yeah. Maybe I've been serving L's like the weed man. Ain't even sign, yeah.